Today we talk about one of the two eternal destinations, but this is the one that we were made for, that God desires to be in, and he even sent his son Jesus so that we can be with him for all eternity. And this is heaven, love without pain. Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful and today we are going to be talking about heaven in the next episodes we're going to be talking about hell and purgatory but as we talked about at the very end of the last episode this is one of the two eternal destinations we're either going to go to heaven or we're going to go to hell and today we're going to be talking about heaven and before we get into talking all about heaven it's a great segue to pick up exactly where we left off In the last episode where we left off at, we talked about our consciences and how we're going to be judged based off how we love, but based off also of what our consciences, what we have been given in this life and have we um, participated in the very graces that God has given us. Um, And did we cooperate with the truth that has been revealed to us? Do we know Jesus Christ? Do we know the Catholic Church, which is the fullness of the body of Jesus Christ? It is Jesus Christ extended into this world. Do we know, love, and serve God where we were and what we were given? So just like the person who doesn't know uh, specifically Jesus because they never heard of Jesus, if they're saved, it's because they were working with the graces that they were been given and they've been and they're saved be precisely still by Jesus Christ. There is no other name that to which we are to to be saved in this world. That people are still saved by Jesus Christ, even if they didn't explicitly know it. Or the person that uh, knows and falls in love with Jesus Christ because someone proclaimed him to him, but they don't know the fullness. They don't. They didn't know that baptism was necessary. That Jesus Christ himself commanded his apostles to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And those who believe and are baptized will be saved. And you must be born again of water and the Spirit. And St. Saint Peter says it, that uh, baptism now saves us. If people don't know that, and to no fault of their own, well, God is outside of the sacraments, right? And that faith in Jesus Christ, can that, that baptismal grace can still be given to them. Um, so working with what that a person knows, do they seek the truth? Do they do they know that God exists, and do they have faith in Him, and uh, and to work with what they have, and work with the graces that have been given in their lives? But ultimately, anybody that's in heaven is saved by the precious blood of Jesus. Because guess what, everybody? There was no heavens that was fully populated with uh, with human beings, with human souls, or bodies with Jesus's Marys before Jesus. Before the time of Jesus, uh, in the Old Testament, when they talked about the heavens, a lot of times it was this. Uh, it, it was sometimes referred to as the this eternal dwelling place of God, but it also became known as uh, something that they would refer to even in the sky. And this is actually one of the more fundamental references when people refer to heaven in Scripture. They're a lot of times referring to the sky. In biblical language, heaven, when it is joined to the earth, it indicates part of the universe, right? So part of creation and even scripture in very Genesis 1, 1, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And however, the sky came to be used as an image of where God dwells. 
Metaphorically speaking, heaven is understood as the dwelling place of God, who is thus distinguished from human beings. Such as in Psalm 104, verses 2 through 3, and uh, Isaiah 66, verse 1. In Psalm 104, it says this, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who have stretched out the heavens like a tent, who have laid the beams of your chambers on the waters, who made the clouds your chariot, who ride on the wings of the wind, who make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. So he's using metaphors to describe how God uh, is this dwelling place um, in the sky, right? And in Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house which you would built for me? And what is the place for my rest? So again, talking about the sky. And scripture also uses the, the heavens as a place where God sees and judges from the heights of heaven, such as Psalm 113 verses 4 through 9. And another place where he talks about how he comes down when he is called upon, such as Psalm 18, 9 uh, and 10 and Psalm 144, 5. And so scripture uses these metaphors like the, like the sky to explain or to describe metaphorically how God is uh, operating or how he speaks or how he dwells in this dwelling place of God. But most specifically, the biblical metaphor makes it clear that God does not identify himself with heaven, nor can he be contained in it, such as 1 Kings 8.27 that says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house which I, which I have built. So God does not dwell within a, spe a specified um, proximity. He is the eternal existence itself. Heaven, earth, anything created cannot contain God. He is infinitely above anything that we could ever, ever fathom or imagine. Look at all the universe. God created it. Look, God created all of time and space and matter and the spiritual world. Every single thing that we can even fathom, God is eternal existence itself. Everything that we know is finite. <laughs> um, and a perfect example of how transcendent God is and yet how near he is, is Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 is uh, where it talks about God will make a everlasting covenant out of his merciful love for the King David. And this is precisely fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. This is talking about prophesying about the new Israel who will receive and should be the fulfilled Israel of God, who will be the fulfilled kingdom of God united to King Jesus. And so um, talking about how intimate God is, and he even talks about how just as the rains and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I intend it and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So he's talking about Again, how his word speaks into creation, into the very life of us. And God is inviting us into this new covenant reality of him being dwelling within us and him being so near to us. And he's always uh, and He's always so near. And yet he's so transcendent. Just before what I just read, starting in verses 8 through 9, this is the famous scripture verse of saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is utterly transcendent. We can never contain him. We can never fully grasp him in this life. 
can never fully see God in this life. And yet he's so, so near to us. And getting back to specifically what heaven is, heaven is ultimately the perfect spiritual communion with God. You'll finally comprehend and see God, not physically see God with our two eyeballs and oh, their God is and their God isn't and their God is. No, God is utterly transcendent, but we're going to see with our intellectual eyes. We're going to be seeing with our hearts and our souls. We're going to finally fully be consumed in the very life of God and the life of the Trinity. Um, And scripture speaks of heaven as life, light, peace, a wedding feast, wine of the kingdom, the Father's house, the heavenly Jerusalem, and paradise. And this is probably what best sums it up, is that we can't understand it. Catechism uh, 127, referencing 1 Corinthians 2 through 9. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Talking about uh, that perfect union in heaven. As St. Pope John Paul II said it in his general audience on July 21st, 1999. And by the way, I'm reading this out of a Catholic Answers 20 Answers booklet. This one is titled Salvation. But this is what he said. In the context of, of Revelation, we know that the heaven or happiness in which we will find ourselves is neither an abstraction nor a physical place in the clouds, but a living, personal relationship with the Holy Trinity. It is our meeting with the Father, which takes place in the risen Christ through the communion of the Holy Spirit. And this takes me to kind of the main point. When we think of like heaven, like what are we going to be doing there? Are are we going to be bored? What are we going to be doing? Or um, is it a party? What does it look like? Honestly, what I have found, because that's how I I thought. And sometimes I still think that obviously you want to know what it looks like and everything. But primarily what it is and what we desire is God himself. And anything short of God is not enough. I was just reading a prayer from St. Augustine today and he basically said, anything that God gives us isn't enough because God wants to give his full self, his entire being to us. And that's what heaven is, is finally that full consummation of God and his people. So it's a direct encounter with God himself, God almighty. And that is what we want. Even heaven itself, that that dwelling place with God is, that's what the eternal dwelling place is going to be of heaven is that communion with God, with the Holy Trinity. And so the principal blessing of heaven is this union with God. And the church has a special name for this form of union. It's called the beatific vision. And that beatific comes from beatitude. It's just like the Sermon on the Mount, he gave the beatitudes. Beatitudes. And what beatitude mean is a supreme blessedness, not just right off of Google, or it's like ecstasy, exaltation, um, being in a split in a state of bliss with God Himself. And so um this is based uh this beatific vision is based on passages in scripture that speak of the faithful being rewarded by being able to see God. And properly speaking, God does not have a physical form apart from the incarnation of Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And so God is invisible, but this is seeing intellectually with our eyes. This is perfect, transcendent, finally contemplated within our soul. And so the scripture verses that talk about being able to see God is such as Psalm seventeen fifteen, where it says, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake, I shall be satisfied with beholding your form. And Matthew 5, 8, uh, Christ in the, in the Beatitudes, in the, Mount on the, the Sermon on the Mount, it, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see 
God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, as St. Paul says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. In 1 John 3, 2, St. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So God in, in heaven, in that perfect communion with God, we become fully human because we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that is fully transformed and that is fully recognized in communion with God, in the body of Christ, being in uh, communion with Jesus in the Holy Trinity. And so a part of that transformation as uh, those who are in heaven are those who are perfected by the grace of Jesus Christ. They are perfected. So, and you see this um, in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. This is the author talking about the mass, talking about mass, how we in the new covenant uh, is not coming to the mountain that Moses stepped up on, but we're in, into the heavenly Jerusalem with Jesus and all of heaven that Christ opened for us. So this is what he's, what the author says. But you have come to Mount Zion. This is the place where they had worship. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem was just an archetype for heaven. And to innumerable angels in feastal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to a judge who is God of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. So he's talking about the Mass in the Eucharist. We're surrounded by heaven every single time we go to Mass. And as Christians, we can be, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. The temple was Bethel in Genesis, where, and it was first called where God dwells because angels would ascend and descend from heaven. And uh, Christ, even when he's talking about him being the new fulfilled temple, he says uh, in John that you are going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He's referencing specifically that Bethel, that first temple where God dwelled and angels ascended and descended. And he says that. And then St. Paul, uh, in that participation that we, every single thing that Christ is by nature, we are by grace. St. Paul then calls us, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we have angelic activity too. And this is what is talking about. Um, so we walk around with that open heavens as children of God in the body of Christ in communion with Jesus, but also in the heavenly worship of the mass that we are in all of heaven. We're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses of all the angels and all the people who have been redeemed by Jesus, who are in full communion, who are perfected, as Hebrews 12 just said, is that it's the spirits of just men made perfect. And why is this so crucial? Because in Revelation 21, 27, Jesus says himself that nothing unclean shall enter heaven. So we are perfectly clean. We are pure in heart, as Ma as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8. The blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it's those who are living and, and walking like Jesus, in union with Jesus, suffering like Jesus, walking in his signs and wonders that he wants us to walk into, to listen to our teacher, to listen to him and his church, and to move in power. And that is the gospel, is that we can taste heaven now. And this is what um, St. Catherine of Siena said, is that 
all the way to heaven is heaven because Christ said, I am the way. So when we're in communion with Jesus, it is specifically us tasting heaven here and now as Christians because we're in communion with him and that is going to be the full actuality in heaven is that perfect communion with the Holy Trinity. And so far, this has all been specifically uh, after the particular judgment, after our individual private judgment where God judges our hearts and our souls and we can be those spirits of just men made perfect, as Hebrews just said. Or in Revelation, we see the saints, the souls of those who have been saved and redeemed by the Lamb uh, in heaven. And so that's the particular judgment. After the second coming, we're going to be reunited with our our bodies, just as um, St. Paul, when he's talking about... uh, precisely we will be resurrected with our bodies he says this in first corinthians 15 he says if the dead are not raised then christ has not been raised if christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins so after the second coming when there's a new heavens and a new earth and there's the resurrection it's the general judgment when we receive our bodies This does not mean that our bodies that we have here on earth are going to be the same ones that we have in heaven. They're going to be glorified. They're going to be risen. They're going to be glorified. They're going to be transcendent. So Paul indicates that when uh, that we will be changed and he compares our present bodies to seeds that are sown in the ground only only to bring forth something much more glorious. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 42 through 44. So just a little bit later from the verse that we just read. He says this. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. So the ultimate conclusion is is that whether it's after the particular judgment when it's our souls united with God or at the general judgment when our bodies are reunited with our souls, either way, we're going to be completely... Um, in communion with the Holy Trinity, what we are made for. We're going to be finally fully human. And in a sense, even when we're just souls, there's still yet a part of redemption that hasn't taken place place yet in its fullness. When we receive our bodies in the second coming, in the general judgment, then we are going to be in the fullness of that redemption that Christ has won for us. And Yes, in heaven, it is full communion. It is perfect love. It is perfect receiving. It is perfect worship. It is uh, uh, perfect happiness and, and joy. But also, we're not just bored and we're not just completely disregarding things here on earth. We specifically see here uh, in Scripture in the New Testament that those who are in heaven are still very, very involved on earth. And think about when Christ said, those who are faithful in little will receive a little and I will set you over this city or receive this reward and put you over um, this these groups of cities or 10 cities or whatever it was. Um, he talks about giving people assignments as part of being the body of Christ to call to participate human beings in the very mission of God to save the world. And so we're going to have authority even here on earth. And we see that, we saw that in Hebrews that we just read, um, when we see that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, that those uh, witnesses in that in that glory cloud here on earth are still participating in our very lives and are still very interested in impacting our lives. And we see specifically in Revelation quite a few times. So Revelation 5, 8, and 9, it talks about how... Um, when John, he was lifted up in the spirit, it says that he saw the four living creatures and the 24 elders. The 24 elders are specifically priests. 
and uh, human beings. And they fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. And they goes on to talk about uh, Christ the Lamb being worthy to open its seals and to ransom people that would save every single tribe, tongue, and nation. And then uh, they also talk about the saints in uh, Revelation 6, starting in verse 9. It says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign God, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren should be complete who were to be killed as they, they themselves had been. So these are specifically the martyrs who died for their faith in Jesus asking for uh, the fullness of redemption to come here on earth. And then in Revelation 7, it talks about the 144,000, which is symbolic of the fullness of the redemption of the of Israel, who was founded on the 12 tribes. And there's 12,000 from each tribe. And then after that, it was the multitude from every single nation. And they saw a great multitude, which no man could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And then in Revelation 8, starting in verse 3, it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to mingle with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel before God. So the key takeaways of heaven. We are only getting to heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. Nothing, nothing, nothing that we could do. We are saved by Jesus. The heavens are open because of Jesus. We can have full communion with God, the Holy Trinity, because of Jesus. And heaven, more than a dwelling place, is an actual full possession, full uh, encounter, full relationship with the very life of the Holy Trinity. And uh, we participate in the very life of God in its fullness on heaven. And we can say, just like St. Therese, that we wish to spend our heaven doing good on earth. 